What got you there with got you got you What got you there with Shonda Laney got you there with Shonda Laney What got you there with Shonda Laney got you there with Shonda Laney What got you there with Shonda Laney PJ Nessler is a human performance specialist with over a decade of experience preparing top athletes for competition and a life mission to help athletes and coaches realize their true potential over the past 10 years, PJ has trained dozens of athletes from the UFC, NFL, NHL, and MLB. His passion for combat sports and commitment to excellence has driven him to become a leader in the combat sports performance training world. He has worked extensively with over 100 fighters, including multiple Brazilian jiu-jitsu world champions and top 10 ranked UFC fighters. He is currently the Director of Performance for XPT Life, where his role entails researching and developing educational curriculums around XPT's Breathe, Move, Recover pillars and teaching certification programs for coaches and trainers. This episode is all about better performance, and there is no one better to learn it from. If you're like me and love to travel, then listen up. Are you looking to get outside your comfort zone in 2018? Are you tired of the monotony of your 9-to-5 job with no adventure? Do you want to connect with new people on Epic Adventures? If so, then Globekick is what you're looking for. Globekick is redefining travel for the millennial generation. Globekick knows that memorable travel is built on the quality of the experience you have and the people you connect with along the way. That's why their members can choose from curated travel experiences throughout the year with like-minded people. Unlike other travel providers, Globekick members get to know each other through a private social network before choosing when and where they travel together. In 2018, they've teamed up with partners around the world to feature a Sahara Desert camping trip out of Morocco in May, a boating journey through the Sandblast Islands in the Caribbean in August, and a volunteering trip to an elephant sanctuary outside of Cambodia in December. If you want to travel the world with your kind of people and not break the bank, then head to globekick.com and enter WGYT to receive 10% off your membership. That's globekick.com and enter code WGYT to receive 10% off your membership. PJ, welcome to What Got You There. How are you? I'm doing great. Thank you for having me. Yeah, no, very excited about this one. Uh, the listeners know I love performance, how to move, how to work better, how to live a more healthy, sustainable life. So I'm really looking forward to this call, but I want to get started with, you have a phrase tattooed on you and I want to know what that phrase is and then why you got it tattooed on you. <laughs> yeah. Uh, I have my motto, which is don't talk about it, be about it. Uh, and I got it tattooed on my forearm a couple of years ago in, uh, in Roman numerals. So the Roman numerals stand for each, the first uh, letter of each word. Um, and that, that became my, my motto probably six years ago. Uh, I just, when I started really working in business, working in the private sector, the fitness industry, and I was really seeing, I, I had to work with a lot of different people building my own website platform and, and marketing companies and just so many different people on different aspects. And what I started really realizing was that so many people in it, so many avenues just over promise everything. Uh, and they under deliver they, people just want to be agreeable and they want to, people will say they're going to do stuff and then they just under deliver over and over. And it, it was something that drove me crazy and it led me to be, you know, I told myself that that's just never going to be me. So I started living my, my life based on if I say I'm going to do something, I'm going to do it. And I'm not going to commit to anything if I don't think I'm going to do it, but this is the, this is a principle that I think is really important to me because I saw how frustrated I got with other people who were just not 
doing that. And I saw that I said, Hey, if these so many people are not doing it, then I can be really successful if I set this as my standard and, and keep this integrity. So it was just instilled in me. I started saying it with my clients and uh, enforcing it with my, my interns and coaches who were me and, and all these people. And then it just became kind of a motto that stuck with me. And, and I got a tattooed on me though, because I realized that there were certain times in my life where I, I really had to look at myself and say, like, hey, I mean, you know, you tell other people, you tell people to do this, this, and that. Well, you need to do that. You need to live that. Even when you're by yourself, no one else is around and nobody else is going to know, you need to live this thing. Something that stuck with me. So PJ, I mean, I absolutely love this motto, this philosophy. And you kind of mentioned around six years ago is when this realization came to you. I'm assuming you were programmed like this from a young kid. Is that true? Um, I don't know. You know, thinking back, I, there was, I don't think I was, you know, I, I don't think when I was in high school or I think I was too busy worried about being cool and, and probably saying I was going to do things and maybe didn't do them. But, but I, it wasn't something that, that really, uh, resonated with me until six, seven years ago. Oh, that's interesting. Very cool how you're kind of able to, to morph and change then with that new mentality. And I want to know how you first became involved with strength and conditioning. Was this something you loved and were passionate about when you were younger or was it also a later stage thing? Yeah, this is something I got into when I was young. I, I started strength training in like seventh grade. Uh, I used to skateboard a lot. And when I stopped skateboarding, I, I picked up going to the gym with a friend of mine and I was playing sports. So I just, I really felt I was also a skinny kid. So I fell in love with the process of just lifting weights and trying to get bigger. And uh, at the same time, I'm reading books about training for football. So I would, we would, we would do sprints and agility work and weightlifting and just really fell in love with the gym. Um, and it's something I did, you know, it was my, my hobby all through high school. I really loved the training process and training for something. Uh, and then that was what I kind of consumed myself with reading and everything. But I actually, I went to college for business because, uh, I didn't see a career path in training. I, I used to work out at the YMCA and you know, a lot of the trainers there, I just kind of saw taking elderly people around a bunch of circuit machines. And I was like, I don't know if that's a career path for me. Uh, you know, that wasn't something I was interested in. So I went to school for business. Uh, and then after a year I hated it. I transferred schools actually. And I ended up playing football, uh, try, walking onto the football team at the University of Rhode Island. And that's when I worked with a strength and conditioning coach for the first time. Um, you know, a real strength and conditioning coach at a college, which exposed me to something that I thought was awesome. And I was like, this is what I want to do with my life. And I switched my major over to kinesiology. And I just have been full force ever since then. That was like 2005. I mean, you mentioned kind of that light bulb moment where this is what I want to do the rest of my life. What specifically was it about that that you really loved? Um, I mean, I just I had always loved the process. So it was it was just the opportunity that, hey, this is something that this guy is this is a legitimate career. He works at a college. You know, he's making real money. He's training elite athletes. And, you know, this is something I've always been interested in. I just never knew that there was the opportunity to do do it this way. Um, so as soon as I saw that there was an opportunity in the field, I've always been interested in, uh, I just kind of went right into it. I mean, you're an expert, it seems like in, in multiple fields and strength and conditioning right now, but your focus seems to be a lot on the combat sport athlete. How did you first become involved with that? Cause it looks like you had the football background. Were you doing combat sports growing up? 
I was always, I always loved, but right around the same time, seventh grade, I, I started watching the UFC and I was always into it, but I didn't really train much combat sports. I wrestled a little bit back then, but, uh, my, my dad wanted me to play traditional sports. So I tried to get, pick up boxing, but, uh, the boxing gym near us was like in the basement of some house in the projects. And my dad was just not about letting me do that. Um, so I ended up playing traditional sports in high school. And then when I stopped playing football, I walked onto the team for a year at University of Rhode Island. And when I stopped playing, I was looking for something else to do. And I saw there was an MMA gym that had just opened near the school. So I just went and checked it out. And I really fell in love with it was right around the time I started changing my career path to strength and conditioning. And I also picked up the hobby of MMA. So I started training Brazilian Jiu Jitsu and Muay Thai. And I just I loved that. I loved the process of it. I really loved the sport. So it kind of always aligned. I, I still wanted to be a strength and conditioning coach for football because that was my sport growing up. But I, I really enjoyed training fighters too. So it was kind of always something in my mind. I always wanted to work with fighters and football players were like my two um, priorities that I really hoped to work with. I mean, what are your, some of your favorite aspects of working with an MMA athlete? I'm assuming there's so many variables that go into that training as opposed to to football where it's, it's more black and white what it might look like, where today the athletes in MMA are just so much different and constantly transforming. That's exactly it. It's it's such a challenge. And, and working with athletes, it got to a point in my career where I've worked with so many athletes that are a similar archetype. So, you know, you work with a, a 16-year-old soccer girl's when you start working with hundreds of them, they, they kind of all have the same problems. They kind of have the same limitations. They kind of have the same, uh, hesitations about strength training and you got to do the same stuff with them. So it almost gets a little mundane and, and easy. And the, the thing with fighters is it is never mundane because they are so overtrained. They're so beat up. They're so different in their backgrounds, their training histories, their their training goals, what they need to do to be successful, that it's always a, a complex puzzle to solve. And then every time you program and you think you've got it solved, you have to change it because they come in that day and they, they got banged up in sparring that morning and you have to adjust on the fly and change. It. And that's the thing that I think keeps me interested in training fighters, um, aside from just being a huge fan in the sport. Uh, but that's really one of the biggest interests I have. It's, it's just a complex puzzle. And, and the other side was there wasn't a lot of people doing it. So football, there was a ton of information on how to train football players and the best ways to do it. And there was a, a lot of guys who were doing it at a really high level, whereas MMA, there wasn't that much information. So it was, again, kind of having to figure it out and do a lot of trial and error and try to talk to a lot of people. And, you know, it was very frustrating and challenging. But I think that's what kept me interested was was this complex puzzle that I had to solve. Yeah, I mean, you mentioned this complex puzzle. I'm wondering, is it more when you're at that elite level for an MMA athlete, is it more mental or is it more physical at that point? Uh, in terms of training them? Yeah. I mean, because y you see multiple athletes who maybe have worked with different SNC coaches and then they have big fights coming up. They have the distractions of possible paydays. I mean, how do you control that environment to make sure that the program you've put together, they're going to buy in and they're going to get the most out of it? I mean, that's another puzzle to solve with every athlete. It, it depends on, on each person and where they're struggling. And really it comes down to assessing where they're at mentally uh, and then where they're at physically and then how we can best tie those things together in training to help them transfer over to the cage. Uh, I work with them a little bit on psychology, but you know, I don't, I don't sit them down and, and talk to them, but I, I try to work in 
as much mental training and psychology as I can into my training. I have a few guys who are at a high level who work with a, um, you know, anytime I can get them to work with an expert. So we, I have a sports for a, uh, sports psychologist out here that, um, is a super high level guy and I've connected some of my fighters with him and then he helps bring that stuff together and then connects with me on, Hey, here's where he's struggling and things that we could pops possibly do in training to help, uh, connect the dots. But, you know, I've, I've certainly, I think I failed in some instances too. I've had fighters who just couldn't put it together in the cage. Um, and to get, there's just, there's so many variables that go into it that it's, it's all, it's really, really hard. And there's so many coaches that work with them. So even if you think you can, you've got the answer, you've got to convince six other people that this is the answer and that we need to work on this together. And that's not a very easy thing to do. Yeah, no, certainly complex. And you mentioned that sports psych. Are you comfortable sharing who that is? Yeah, his name is uh, Lenny Wiersma. He's um, he's a professor of psychology at, at Cal State Fullerton. And he works with a, some of the Olympic, I think, water polo teams and a whole bunch of other teams. I, I was connected to him a few years back. Uh, I have some friends who are professors at Cal State Fullerton. And I was connected to, to, Dr., to Lenny Wiersma. And I went and met with him just to kind of learn from him. And then I had a few meetings with him just for my own knowledge. And then uh, I started sending some athletes to him and um, he's working right now with one of the, uh, UFC guys that I'm working with. And it's been a really, really, really good relationship to have. Cool. I'm looking forward to checking out Lenny's work. I, I know every athlete's going to be different, but is there one type of training thing that you've implemented in all of your MMA athletes? Uh, most recently is breathing or recovery. Um, the biggest things I've, I've incorporated from the beginning was recovery teaching these guys how to recover, how to feel better, that it's okay to focus on recovery uh, because they're so beat up. They're so overtrained. They're so type A personality that they're just broken. Really, really, I mean, these guys come to me at 20 years old and they're more broken than some of my guys who played 14 years in the NHL um, because they're just, they don't know how to train. They didn't come from a college background or a professional background where they've had ATCs and strength and conditioning coaches. So they're so broken that recovery is a huge aspect. Um, but then most recently, probably in the past year or so, um, now that I've been working so much with XPT and, and working on uh, breath work, that's something I've incorporated into in with all of my athletes. Yeah, no, you mentioned the, the breathe and recover and then what you're doing at XPT. Can you give the listeners just a little peek into what you do for XPT and what XPT is? Yeah, XPT is a, we call it a performance lifestyle. And it was developed by Laird Hamilton and Gabby Reese. And it was really developed through them just through natural exploration of the best methods for improving their body, recovering. And they're both elite athletes themselves, um, business people. They, they wear a lot of hats. So they were just kind of searching for the best methods to improve performance, recovery, longevity, health. Uh, and they just developed this, this program that was really based around uh, breath work, movement training, and a lot of different types of movement training. But one of the unique ones is the underwater uh, pool training that, that Laird created basically to help him with his surfing. Um, so it's a bunch of underwater stuff with, with weights. And then recovery. In recovery, we, we use breath work. We use other principles. But one of the big things that we work with is uh, exposures to extreme cold, extreme heat. So ice baths and saunas. And then my job, you know, they, they started kind of teaching this stuff to people and 
we run these experiences where people come out and they can spend three days with, uh, with our team and with Laird and Gabby. And we do them in Malibu or Kauai or Miami, Tahiti. So we go to these tropical places and people get to spend three days with us and really just get plugged into the lifestyle. And they learn some stuff and we take them through different types of workouts and breath work and all the different uh, methods that we use. But what they realized, you know, they did that for about two years and they realized that all these people were coming out and they're having this life changing experience. And they're like, I need to do more of this in my life. Like, this is not how I work out. This is not how my trainer has me doing stuff. I, I need more of this. But we didn't have the resources to to provide them. So they hired me um, last summer, about a year ago. And my job as the director of performance was really to learn all of these different methods that they're using and then create a system that can be taught to coaches and trainers to learn how to implement these things, how to teach them, how to progress people from wherever they're at, how to assess them. Um, so that's what I've been doing for the past probably about eight months, I, I built that certification program and then we launched it back in March. And now my primary role is, is traveling around and certifying coaches and trainers, um, to how to use these different methods so that they can then go teach them to their clients or implement them into their practice, wherever they are. Yeah, no, XPT is absolutely fascinating. I'm really hoping to get out to one of these three-day events sometime in the future. But you guys mentioned the the three components, breathe, move, and recover. And I'd really like to just kind of tackle all three of those to give listeners maybe a preview of what it would look like. So when you guys are working on your breathing component and say you're you're gearing up for a workout, what does your breath practice actually look like then? So we, we have three, we kind of broke down breathing into three buckets, activate, perform, and reset. So we have a few different methods that fall into the activate category. And those would be things that you would do either when you woke up in the morning before a big meeting or before a workout. Um, and there's a few different ones, you know, for a, for a beginner person, there's some very, very simple breathing practices and it's really just to connect them with their breath. So it's to teach them kind of reset some patterns because most people, it's funny because people ask me this all the time. Like, do we really think that people don't know how to breathe is something that we do intuitively? And the, the answer is no, they don't. Um, more than 50% of people have some sort of breathing dysfunction and it, be, it comes from our daily lives. You know, our, our physiology was not designed for us to be sitting all day and for us to be in poor posture positions and for us to, we've adapted to this sedentary convenient lifestyle. So when we go back to trying to optimize people's breathing, it's really just reconnecting them with what the breathing pattern should be. So a, a simple one that my athletes do before we, we train is just, I call it Superman breathing and they can do it standing or, or laying on their back, but they'll put their hands right in their lower ribs. So right on their lower two or three ribs, kind of like Superman pose. And what they'll do is they'll breathe in slow through their nose and they'll focus on expanding their hands out. So expanding their ribs out laterally. So what that does is breathing through the nose, breathing down into that space activates the diaphragm and it helps to reset the breathing pattern, get the breath deep down into the lungs, expanding the ribs the way we're supposed to be breathing all the time. Uh, but most of us have this shallow upper chest sort of breathing pattern uh, that's dysfunctional. So we do that uh, and we'll do 10 to 15 of those slow breaths and that might be it to start with. Then as they progress and they get better control with their breath, we'll actually pick up the pace. So we'll do another 10 breaths that's going to be now in through the nose and out through the mouth, and it's faster. But the goal is 
as you pick up the speed or as you change over the pattern from nose, nose to nose, mouth to mouth, mouth, as you change those patterns over, it can't change your breathing, uh, where you're breathing into. So the goal is we're kind of just like you do with the squat. You know, if I got in there and I was going to do some heavy squats, I'd, I'd do some body weight squats, nice and slow. Then I would get under the bar and I would ramp up the weight to 60%. I'd do a few reps and then I'd go up to 80%, do a few reps. That's the same thing we're doing with this breathing, just neurological patterning almost of the diaphragm and and of all the respiratory muscles to get everything reset. Um, And it it takes 90 seconds to two minutes, but it's also a great kind of uh, bookend on the workout because it's, it's where we start. You know, it's two minutes where they're not talking they're really not thinking about anything else that, that they were maybe stressed about before they came in for the workout. So they just get to lock in and it's like, now we're focused, now we're going. And, and once we finish this breathing, we're training and we're not worried about any other crap that we brought in. So that's one of the, uh, the simple kind of activate ones that we use is that Superman breathing before we train. Is there any scientific research behind kind of that activate portion of the breathing? Is it really doing anything or is it more of just a mental stimuli? Yeah. So there's a bunch of research in terms of just training people to use the right muscles to do the job. So for example, uh, retraining the pattern of diaphragmatic breathing. Um, but there, there's not research looking at like the correlation and carryover. So nobody's really studied, Hey, if we do this reset and then we go train, are people still able to keep that pattern? So it's really only observational. Um, and it's something that I use one, observationally, I've seen my athletes are able to control it better. And two, I'm able to communicate with them better later on if we need to, if they're not breathing properly, because I've set the foundation at the beginning of the training session. So it just reinforces this pattern that we're going to be using later on. So even when we get to breathing really fast in and out through the mouth, I want them still focusing on breathing into the belly and breathing into the ribs. And if they're not doing that, I can just go back and cue that simply because they've already practiced it in a uh, more controlled environment. So what's your take on nasal only breathing? I've, I've heard Laird and, and talked to Brian about this before. Nasal only breathing while, say, being on a bike or, or some type of physical activity. What's your take there? Yeah, we use that as a train. I mean, the breath is another training variable. So you can change the pattern. You can change a lot of stuff with the breath, and it'll change the adaptation. Um, we use nasal only breathing a lot. And I used to use it actually to, to try to keep my athletes more in an aerobic zone. So if we were doing a, a little circuit I would make them breathe only through their nose. And what I realized when I I had a heart rate monitor on them was they were staying just under their anaerobic threshold when they were breathing through their nose. And as soon as they start to get to that point where they had to breathe through their mouth, they were starting to switch over. But what happened really quickly is they built up efficiency breathing through their nose. And all of a sudden, they were able to, to work at a much higher workload. So some of my athletes have gotten up to 85, 90% of their max heart rate all breathing through their nose and they've held it there for five to seven minutes. So I wasn't able to use it for that same result anymore. Um, but you can certainly use that. And I teach that a lot to, to general people, the majority of the exercise you should, you're doing, you should be able to do through your nose. Now, most people can't, most people switch over to mouth breathing within at like 50% of their max heart rate. They go for a light jog and they're breathing, huffing and puffing out their mouth. Uh, but that's just because they've lost the efficiency of breathing through their nose. The muscles that help open up the nose and, and, uh, the nasal passages have become deconditioned because we don't use it. 
they've got some kind of blockages going on because they don't use their nose at all. So you can retrain that. You know, what everybody will say is they've got a deviated septum and they can't breathe through their nose. Um, literally every single person will say that to you. And I train, I train MMA fighters. So every one of these guys has broken their nose 10 times. Uh, and I've, every single one of them that I've trained, we've been able to improve the efficiency through their nose. Um, but there's also times that you can use a different pattern. I mean, my guys at some points, we need to go all out and we need to push to 95, 100% of maximum capacity. And I don't want the nose to be the limiting factor in that, or the breath pattern be a limiting factor because we'll lose a conditioning stimulus. Uh, you know, we'll get deconditioned if we can only work at 85% all the time. So there's a time that you can use it and there's a time that, that you need to, uh, switch over the pattern. What I like to teach my guys is that they have the control, that they can use it a lot longer than they thought, and that they can switch when they want. And then the goal is understanding how, as you switch that pattern over and you're shifting up gears, that when you need to recover, we're going to back, we're going to go backwards. So if we switched over to mouth, mouth, and now we stopped and we're recovering, okay, well, now we're breathing mouth, mouth. Let's see how quickly we can get into nose, mouth, and let's see how quickly we can get to nose, nose, because that's kind of indicating that we're changing gears over again and we're we're getting a heart rate back down and we're we're uh getting our respiratory gases back to a, a balanced rate i mean that's very cool and it's fascinating to hear about getting the heart rate up to 90 percent and how long they can sustain that i've been implementing a lot of nasal only breathing so i appreciate how difficult and how well trained those athletes must be what about post-workout are you i mean i'm assuming you have to be doing a lot of breath work there as well yeah that's where i started with breath work was post-workout we had uh I started doing a post-workout recovery breathing protocol, and that was probably two or three years ago, probably more like three years ago. Um, I had a breathing coach who's a friend of mine, and, and she taught me a bunch of stuff that was geared towards just getting into a parasympathetic state. So I started looking into research on on uh, inducing a parasympathetic state, and I, what I did was just found all of these things that were shown to be parasympathetic triggers, and I incorporated all of them into my post-workout recovery breathing protocol. So what we do is we lay on the ground, on our backs with our feet on a bench or our feet on a wall at 90, 90. So 90 degrees at the knee and the hip. Uh, and that puts us supine, which is a, of a, uh, parasympathetic position. It puts us in flexion and flexion positions are parasympathetic. And then we do slow nasal breathing. So we go in the nose and into the belly. So we've got nasal breathing. That's another parasympathetic trigger diaphragmatic breathing is another parasympathetic trigger and those two go hand in hand because the breathing through the nose activates the diaphragm uh so we breathe in slow through the nose and then what we do is we leak the air out and i, I let them do nose or mouth i actually like a, a hissing through the mouth when they come out so it's through their teeth or through pursed lips and um <clears throat> They'll do that. The, the goal there is we usually do a one to two ratio of inhale to exhale. So they'll start off with maybe three, three seconds in, six seconds out, and then they maybe they'll go four seconds in, eight seconds out. Uh, and the goal is eventually to get them to that four, eight or further, uh, because once we get those exhales longer than seven seconds, that's another that's been shown to be another parasympathetic trigger in research. Uh, but just elongating exhales is another parasympathetic trigger. So even if they're going two in and five out or three in and six out, something like that, they're still going to take advantage of a lot of those triggers. Um, and then I have them close their eyes and I have them count those tempos. So it keeps their mind focused on the breath and brings some mindfulness 
to the breathing, which is another way to, to get into a parasympathetic state. So that's our post-workout recovery breathing protocol. And they'll do that for minimum two minutes, but usually I try to have them go for three to five minutes. Um, and that's how we, so that's how we book in our training sessions with breath work. We have that activation breathing at the beginning, resetting patterns. And then we've got post-workout recovery breathing to kind of close off our training session and get us into that rest and digest state before we step out of the gym. I mean, it's unbelievable that positioning you mentioned on your back, uh, the 90 degree and 90 degree. I've been doing that at night, uh, laying on the floor and I just feel so much better. Um, and then you also mentioned the breathing. You really want to get to that seven second exhale and you get some extra benefits there. You said the seven second exhale, uh, was just another parasympathetic trigger. So there, there's research studies that, that compared the, uh, I think it was the heart rate response on that one. And they were looking at, um, the length of exhales and they found that seven seconds seemed to be the ideal time, you know, seven seconds or more seemed to be the ideal time to actually induce more of a parasympathetic response. Cool. And I mean, so the next part of the, the XPT life is the movement component of it. And so when someone's coming out to one of your events, what does the movement component look like for you guys? Our movement is really based on restoring foundational patterns. So one of our biggest goals with XPT is to help build the most versatile and resilient human beings possible. That's what Laird's goal always is. You know, his goal, I mean, of course his goal is he surfs hundred foot waves, but he doesn't do a ton of that anymore. His goal now is to stay as resilient and, and versatile as possible so that he can go hella skiing, you jumping out of helicopters on a snowboard in, in Chile. And then he can go to Peru and he can ride 50 foot waves and he can just bounce around and do these things because he's so versatile and, uh, that's kind of one of our big goals. So when it comes to movement, what we did is we're, we don't want to take a stance on how people should train. You know, people love to do orange theory or they love to go to CrossFit or they love to do yoga or the, whatever it is. They love powerlifting. We're not going to take a stance on any of those things being better or worse because we think that all of them are important. What our goal is with the movement category is restoring foundational movement patterns. So teaching people the basics of squat, hinge, push, pull, overhead positions, um, and, and some loaded carries. And that's kind of what our, our gym based training is. So showing people that they should have some resistance training. Then we've got athletic based movements like skip, jump, jump and land, uh, shuffle, um, throw really basic movements that, you know, patterns that we were able to do when we were kids, but we've lost again due to our sedentary lifestyles. <clears throat> and then we've got some, uh, primal movements like different crawling patterns and things like that. And a, a big thing that we do at, at our experiences is we take people through all this different stuff and we show them that, you know, all of our, our movement is broken into a few components. We've got nature, we've got gym, uh, we've got intensity and then our other training, we've got exposure, but if it goes to move. It's really nature, gym and intensity. So nature is all about getting people out reconnected with nature. Uh, getting them outside the gym. And that could be a recovery workout. That could be going for a run. That could be doing a circuit training in the park. It could be doing some primal movements or some athletic movements in the park. Um, throwing a Frisbee and re kind of learning these patterns and these, these basic movements and skills. And then our gym training is really based on those foundational movement patterns, building strength through those foundational movement patterns. And, and when we say strength, we don't mean, uh, one RM max strength, but we just mean functional strength for whatever the, the goal is. So it could be massive strength if your goal is powerlifting, or it could just be being functionally strong enough to 
pick things up and put them down and, and move around and be resilient to injury. And then our intensity days are our energy system development focus. So some days are more long, uh, <clears throat> long, slow distance type aerobic work. Some days are more super high intensity interval type work. Um, and, and really one of our goals is showing people that if you have a, we get a lot of people who come to us that, that aren't sedentary, you know, they, they're type A, they train hard, they train seven days a week, but they only train one thing. They only do CrossFit or they only do endurance events. And what we try to show them is if you want to be the, the most elite in that category, then yes, you have to specialize. But the more you specialize, if you forget about all the other areas because you do endurance stuff because you started doing it when you were younger and you were really good at that and you were never really strong. So you just started doing it and now you're really good at it because that's all you do, which is what people tend to do. They have these very narrowly focused fitness pursuits. Uh, <clears throat> what we're trying to show people is that if you want to be the most optimal human being, the most versatile human being, the most resilient human being, then you need to understand what these other buckets are and at least train them a little bit. So if you're only doing strength training, you got to be doing a little bit of endurance work. You got to be doing a little bit of flexibility work. You got to don't neglect these buckets if you want to be the most versatile human being possible. And that's what our movement category is really based on. I mean, I love that approach. And both your own personal social media pages and XPTs have just been tremendous in terms of what you guys offer people just to go check out, uh, walking you through different movement practices and some of your workouts. So I really do appreciate you guys posting that stuff there. You mentioned not burning people out and also when to go certain extremes. How do you program a specific week? I know this is a really difficult question for you to answer, but just say the average person loves fitness. What's a week usually look like for you guys? So we have our daily training, which is really designed to show people what an, an XPT week would look like, um, but it's, it doesn't have any uh, specialty in it. So our XPT daily training is we have two gym workouts. We have usually one nature workout and two intensity workouts, and then an exposure slash recovery day. So, so two recovery days. So it'll be like Monday's a gym session, uh, Tuesday is an intensity session. And maybe that's, it could be a nature, you know, nature and intensity could be the same thing. It could be, uh, running some hill sprints and then Wednesdays in a recovery day. And that's, we're doing breath work. We're doing hot and cold exposures. You know, we're still doing something active. Uh, and that's what we love about some of this. There's a lot of benefit to the exposures outside of recovery, but if you're using an ice bath or a sauna just for recovery, that's one of the benefits is you, you can get some physiological adaptations from those things and still get benefit from it on your recovery day instead of just sitting and doing nothing. Uh, and then Thursday would be a gym day again. And then Friday would be, uh, a nature or intensity or something. And then Saturday would be, um, <clears throat> another exposure day or maybe a pool day. So it's kind of tapping into all of these different things, but for the, that's really just to give people a taste of all the different elements of XPT. Uh, for a general person. So let's say I, I have a, I had a guy I met at one of the, um, <clears throat> I met at one of our events and he wanted me to write him some training programs. And I put him on a three day training program and his primary goal was, was strength. He wanted to build more lower body and upper body strength. Uh, he was like 46 and he was just wanted to be more resilient to injury and, and more, um, just kind of functional. And then, his secondary goal was just overall health. He wants to be healthy and, and that's why it got attracted him to XPT. So 
he's doing breath work three days a week when he trains. And he's also doing breath work in the mornings. So he's pretty much doing breath work every day. Uh, he's doing three days a week of strength training in those three days a week. He's also, Oh, he's doing two days a week of, of intensity work. And this is a guy who has six days to train. So I wanted to give him stuff to do. One of his intensity days is more just aerobic day and it's very low impact. So it's kind of a recovery workout. He's going to get some aerobic adaptation, but he's still going to recover from the more intense strength training session the day before. Uh, and then he has, um, an exposure day where he's doing his mid- middle of the week is recovery and he has a, a cold plunge and a sauna at his, at his place. So he's doing that. And then, uh, he's got another day that's just a free day that he can do just, just do whatever he wants. And the goal there is just to play, do something good outside, go stand up paddle boarding, go, go do something that's active and, and outside and not this structured kind of gym workout thing. And, and that's, that's kind of a basic uh, program that I'd put somebody on if they had four or five days a week to train. You mentioned the exposure days and anyone who hasn't felt the benefits of the cold plunge sauna, which, which I have, and I absolutely love a huge advocate of it. What can you expect, uh, your first time or multiple times, uh, being exposed to those? Um, so with the cold bath, the, the first thing you can expect is extreme stress because people are not used to it, especially the ice baths we do. They are really cold. We, we have them at between 32 to 36 degrees. Uh, even people who've done ice baths before, maybe they played sports in college and they did ice baths. Those ice baths you do are typically closer to 55, 60 degrees. Um, and those are cold, but these are, are next level cold. Uh, so the first thing that people will experience is like, their body telling them to get the hell out of that ice and they'll get that. And that's one of the big things we teach. And that's why we go through breath work first before we take people into the ice. Cause one of the biggest things we teach is how to control and how to mitigate that stress response and how to use visualization and breath work to control that stress response. And when you get in the ice, you know, you think you can do it. And then you, as soon as you start to submerge your chest under the ice and your heart rate starts going up and your breath rate goes, <laughs> And they get that really short, shallow breath, as I'm sure you probably felt in your first ice bath. Mm -hmm. Uh, What we teach them is how to control that breathing and how to mitigate that stress response. So that's one of the big things. And then when you get out, you know, once you warm back up, people will feel phenomenal. We do a couple rounds in the ice and we'll go in the heat to, to heat people back up. But when you leave that session, your joints feel better. I mean, cold desensitizes the pain response anyway. Uh, so it'll help like it, 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 uh, changes some of the signaling of the, the, the pain receptors. So it'll help from, it'll help mitigate pain. If you've got joint pain, inflammation, it's, it's great for helping to reduce inflammation, uh, whether that's local or systemic inflammation. Uh, and then also energy, it, you'll get a huge output in, um, adrenaline and uh, growth hormone and testosterone, all these things will kind of, you'll get a very acute spike in this stuff from this stress response in the ice. Uh, so you'll usually feel energized. You'll feel mentally clear and focused. You know, people feel great when they get out and they finish these ice and heat sessions. Um, and then you, if depending on what you're doing, you might end up crashing later, depending on how much you push it, because what happens from the ice is you get this big parasympathetic rebound. So that's why we use the ice bath for recovery. I mean, an ice bath is not a sit parasympathetic or a, a relaxing thing by any means. It's a very stressful thing, but you get this rebound, this parasympathetic rebound where you, 
are rested and relaxed and, and you just feel like when we do it and we do some intense training and then we'll do three rounds in the ice and the heat and we'll stay in the sauna for a long time. Then we'll do three to five minutes in the ice. We'll do three rounds of that. Then we go eat and then you go home and you're just ready to crash and just sleep, take a nap. And you know, that's why we use it on a recovery day because it puts you in that zone of recovery. Um, and that's why I use it with my athletes too, because they'll go home and just fall asleep for three hours. And I'm like, man, we just, that's a great recovery day that we just put in. Uh, if we can get that type of response. Oh, that's awesome. Yeah. No, I love incorporating that into the workout. Like you mentioned some of the benefits you even feel in your joints. It's unbelievable how much better uh, I feel after a cold plunge and you hit a ton there on recovery. Are there any other things? I don't know if it's foam rolling, additional stretching yoga that you guys really like to implement and hit home on. Yeah, we use all of it. You know, uh, our, our movement advisor is Dr. Kelly Starrett. He's been around the company for a long time. He's a good friend of Laird and Gabby. So all of his work with, uh, different types of smashing and flossing and, and foam rolling and all that stuff. I, I think that's just great. Um, you just got to know when to use it and what it's for. And I don't, I think just like anything, people see that foam rolling, they hear it's good. So then they flop around on a foam roller for 45 minutes before every workout, um, which is just not beneficial, but we use all that stuff. I love yoga. I don't do it myself anymore, but it's definitely something I recommend to athletes and people that maybe don't have the knowledge on recovery stuff because yoga, they can go to yoga class where it's a guided practice. That's going to take you through some positions and open up some joints and focus on the breath. So it's a great, a great way to get a recovery session. If you don't, don't maybe know how to structure that yourself. Um, and there's tons of obviously great benefits to yoga too. But again, you know, there, there's not really anything that I see in the fitness space that I would say we, we don't like, or we don't use because there's so many different people that are in, involved with XPT, you know, I, I come from a performance training background. So everything I've done is athletic performance based. Some of the other guys are, are CrossFit guys and they, everything they've done has really been CrossFit based. Some other people are more fitness and they've come from just kind of general fitness. So there's a lot of different backgrounds that are incorporated into there. And I think that's what, what makes it such a, a unique and, and holistic program. Yeah, you mentioned Kelly Starrett. He's been a guest on this podcast, so go back in and listen to that one. He uh, he offered some tremendous insights into recovery and, and different things you can do there. Uh, you mentioned yourself, PJ, um, about yoga and not doing that right now. What does a typical day look like for you then with your training? What, are, what do you actually use and benefit from the most? So my training right now, I, I actually have a, a nutrition coach who – uh, created a nutrition program for me. I, I did a bunch of nutrition testing back in last summer. Uh, just it was stuff that I had my elite athletes doing. He does all kinds of different blood work and uh, urine samples and all this, all these different labs. Uh, he, he's a lab analyst, and we, he was doing it with all my athletes and just seeing, you know, exactly what they need to be eating and what they need to be doing for their physiology. So it was something I always wanted to do when I finally had the money to uh, to do it. So last summer, I ended up doing all the lab testing and found a bunch of issues with my digestive system and my hormones were all out of whack. Um, so he put me on a nutrition plan to uh, to fix that stuff. And I was also at the same time I had I had I have two fractures to my low back. So I had had a big flare up with my low back and I was in a ton of pain. I was off my feet for a week and a half. So I worked with another specialist out here as a physical therapist is a, a really, really progressive forward thinking physical therapist. And he put me on a training program designed to, uh, 
helped me to build some strength back in my back and to get to desensitize his pain response. So I kind of correlated the two together and I was, I looked at it as just rebuilding. Uh, you know, I really was trying to reset some foundations and rebuild. I was on a really strict nutrition plan for, for 90 days. I had to cut out a ton of foods. Uh, I ended up losing a bunch of weight cause I just, there was not a lot of op- options to eat. So, um, I could, I didn't stick to it as well as I should have. And I, I ended up losing a bunch of weight cause I just wasn't able to eat as much, enough calories. And, um, but I felt phenomenally better. And then when I finished that, I had lost a ton of weight and I said, Hey, now I want to put some weight back on. I want to put some muscle on now that we've got my testosterone back to where it needs to be. And my cortisol is balanced out and all this stuff is kind of reset. Uh, and I can actually take advantage of my trainings. My testosterone was so low. I was just stuck in this catabolic cycle. And every time I try to do a strength program or a hypertrophy program, I'd get about three weeks in and I'd get hurt. And I just didn't have the testosterone to, uh, balance that back out. So I think I just went way off track on your question, but no, I'm absolutely loving this (laughs) (laughs) fast forward to now. Now my strength training program was, I spent about six months trying to put weight on and I was on a, uh, he actually wrote training programs for me. I had, I had built some strength back in my back. I was feeling good about where I was at. Um, I, I usually train more like an athlete and, Unfortunately, because of my back, I, I have to be careful with jumping and landing and twisting and explosive movements. So he put me on a training program that was a really a lot more uh, simple movements, um, some more bodybuilding type stuff that I haven't done in a long time, and then just nothing super explosive, uh, but really just based on building strength and hypertrophy. And I put on a ton of weight and a ton of built a ton of muscle, um, and now I'm on a similar program. It's a little more based on kind of leaning out a little bit and maintaining the muscle that I've put on in the strength. So I, I train four days a week, uh, Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Friday, sorry, Monday, Tuesday, Thursday, Friday. Uh, I train early in the morning for about an hour and a half, um, mostly strength training, but some of my strength training is more circuit based now. So it's kind of, um, I do quad sets of four exercises paired back to back and it's, um, pretty high, uh, high metabolic rate too. I wear a heart rate monitor and my heart rate gets pretty, it gets up into like 165, 175 and can stay up there for a while. And then on Wednesdays or Saturdays is when I like to use my recovery days. Sometimes I just recover because I'm working a lot. Sometimes I'll try to get out and surf. Um, Saturdays is when we try to get together. Whenever I'm in town, we'll try to get together with a few XPT people and we'll do ice and sauna. Uh, with one of our XPT advisor or sorry, uh, investors lives down here in Newport beach and he's got a sauna and ice bath. So we'll go down to his house and get a group together and do a couple rounds in the heat in the ice. Uh, and then Sundays is usually a recovery day. Yesterday I went and ran sprints, but usually just recovery days for me from a training standpoint. And then outside of that, uh, it's mostly working from home from my computer getting on phone calls and, and regular work. And then I have one athlete now who just came back into town, one UFC fighter, the only athlete I'm probably gonna be training this summer and I'll be training him three days a week in the afternoons. But that's really what my days look like. Very cool. Absolutely jam packed. And you mentioned your nutritionist, which seemed to have some tremendous uh, benefits for you to work with him. Uh, are you comfortable sharing who that is? Oh, absolutely. Uh, his name's Dan Garner. He's out of uh, Canada and uh, I've been working with him for like probably two and a half, three, maybe three years now, um, sharing some athletes, you know, connecting him with my pro guys, uh, who could afford his services. And then 
again, I've, I've been working with him actually. He's been writing my training programs and my nutrition for almost a year now um, and just had phenomenal results. I, I preach it to everybody to get this kind of testing done because there was, I was just like everyone else. I thought I was, you know, I was eating healthy. I sleep okay. I did all the right things. I train regularly. I had no idea how dysfunctional I was until I, one, I did this testing. But as soon as we started fixing some things, I mean, within two weeks, my energy was through the roof. Like I was drinking coffee all morning, coffee all afternoon, energy drinks to try to keep my energy to sustain it when I was training groups. And I just figured that was normal. You know, everyone talks about crashing at three o'clock and, uh, I, I work in the training industry where I'm up early and I'm on the floor running around doing stuff. So I'm just like, figured it was normal to be that tired all the time. And within two weeks, I didn't need coffee. I didn't need caffeine. I mean, I was coaching groups at 5 PM and feeling like it was 10 AM. And I was like, that alone was worth all the money I had invested in this. Um, and then I just continued to see results and feel better and feel so much better. And now I've, I've reset my kind of baselines and now I'm, I'm very aware of what issues foods are having on, you know, if I eat a certain food, I know what normal is. So if I eat a certain food and it doesn't feel right, I, I get like bloated or I feel fatigued later. I'm like, yeah, maybe that's just not a good food for me to be eating. Uh, and maybe I'll try it again. And if I get the same result, then I cut that food out. So it's really allowed me to know what, what optimal feels like. Um, which is something that I think most people, you know, we tell people all the time when they don't sleep properly, if they're getting five hours of sleep and they say, Oh, I, I, I'm fine. It's like, you're not fine. You just are so used to walking around at 70% that you don't know what 90 or hundred percent feels like. Uh, and that was kind of where I was from a nutrition standpoint. I mean, you mentioned the energy drinks. Uh, what else did you eliminate? You don't need to go into everything, but what did you eliminate? And then what have you started to incorporate that's been helping you feel so much better? One of the tests he does is called an MRT and it's a, they test like 3000 different foods uh, in your, and they test your blood to see how reactive it is to these different foods. And basically if it's causing inflammation and what I had to do was remove all the foods that showed any reactivity in my, in my body. So it was a lot of stuff. It was pretty much every kind of dairy, every kind of, uh, wheat, um, a bunch of random things like spinach and strawberries and stuff I was eating every day because it was healthy. Um, I had to cut all these things out. And then I went, he put me on a supplement protocol as well that was designed to, uh, fix any of the issues I had. So I was taking like a, a black licorice root extract that's helped that's supposed to help with, um, managing cortisol and, and increasing the shelf life of cortisol. So one of the big issues I had was my cortisol was really high and then it would just drop really low throughout the middle of the day and then it would come back up at night. So I'd have trouble sleeping, but I'd feel like shit all day. And that was one of the things I fixed when my cortisol went back to normal, I had energy throughout the day, like I was supposed to. So the, we went on a supplement protocol that was designed to kind of attack all these different things. And that's what I love about what he does is he takes of such a holistic approach as he looks at things from so many different lenses, instead of just running this one test and saying, well, your testosterone's low, so we should try to bring it back up. He can look at 15 different things and say, well, your testosterone could be low because of this, this, and this, and that's also causing this. So therefore we're going to attack it from seven different angles and optimize all of these systems, not just attack the one thing. Um, and that's why I think he just gets such phenomenal results. 
I mean, I'll definitely have to check him out. I've had a ton of health issues the past year, so really looking forward to hopefully taking uh, advantage of his services. But a little earlier, you mentioned during your training, you wear a heart rate monitor. Um, what other technologies have you incorporated uh, into your training? Um, I don't use a ton of technology. I, I have this thing uh, now called Morpheus, which is a uh, recovery system that was event- invented by Joel Jameson. Um, it's basically an HRV it gives you an HRV score, but it also creates a recovery score based on your sleep, your training, um, and it connects your heart rate monitor connects with it. So I wear the heart rate monitor. Now I just started using it again recently. Uh, I wear the heart rate monitor when I train just to kind of see where my heart rate's at. And I, I play with it sometimes if I get my heart rate up to 170 and then I have a, a 90 second rest, I'll sit down and I'll just use that time to see how, how much I can pull my heart rate down um, to kind of focus on my recovery. And then I just use it to track my, my workouts cause it'll manage my, my recovery and it'll give me a recovery score, uh, every day. So I'm going to start using it again, really just to test some different recovery protocols. Um, but outside of that, I don't use a lot of technology. Um, I have with my athletes, I've used things like jump mats and speed timers, but otherwise I don't really use much technology in my training at all. So you mentioned HRV, the heart rate variability. Do you test that in the morning or at different points in the day? Yeah, you're supposed to test it in the morning. So what you do is you wake up. It's this little strap you can put on your forearm or on your your calf. Um, I put it on my forearm. You you turn the thing on. It'll it'll measure for like two and a half minutes. It'll take a score, and then it'll have a. You can it, the cool thing about Morpheus and why they call it Morpheus is it connects to like hundreds of other apps. So if you have a Garmin watch or uh, the, the Ova ring or aura ring, whatever that, that ring is that you wear that can measure sleep quality and, and all that stuff. Uh, or if you have a sleep tracking kind of, you know, Fitbit, it connects to all those things. So it'll measure your sleep, sleep quality duration, and it'll connect that to it. If you don't have those things, it'll, it has a questionnaire. It'll ask you like how many hours you slept, um, rate your sleep quality. And then how do you feel today? Uh, so you'll do that in the morning and it'll give you a recovery score. So it takes your HRV, takes into account you, how you feel and, and the other things. It'll give you a recovery score for the day. And then if you wear it when you train, it'll give you a recovery score again after your training session. So when you close out that training session, it'll tell you again where you're at. Um, so then you can kind of use it to measure. But you're supposed to do it in the morning is the ideal time to, uh, to take that score before you get out of bed. Gotcha. And you mentioned the supplementation and some different things. I think you mentioned the black licorice that you're implementing. Is there anything that you've really gotten some benefits from or that you use consistently with your athletes? Uh, yeah, I'm, I'm pretty simple on the supplements now. I mean, I, I go with the things that have been proven in science pretty extensively. So I'll, I'll, when I was using those other all kinds of different crazy supplements I had never heard of, um, that was all kind of based on Dan's recommendations. And the great part too, is he took me through like, here's what this is. Here's what it's for. Instead of just here, take all this crap and, and tell me that you're, you know, if you're feeling better. So it, it was really an educational process, but now I just take some basic stuff. So I take fish oils. Uh, I take a creatine and glutamine every day and I take, um, vitamin D and I take a multivitamin. That's pretty much it. So those are kind of all the baseline ones that I recommend. Uh, besides the glutamine, those are pretty much the baseline ones I recommend for all my athletes because they're the ones that are just proven over and over and over again in science. Uh, and then caffeine, I'll, I'll take here and there if I uh, 
didn't get a good night's sleep and I need to get a, a good workout in or drink coffee. I drink coffee occasionally, but I don't really, I don't usually feel like I need it anymore. Uh, so I like, I use caffeine more when I want it versus like I'm addicted to it and I have to have it every single day. You mentioned sleep. I mean, is that something you're putting a lot of focus in or you get to sleep when you get to sleep? Yeah. Sleep is really important to me. I get made fun of a lot from, uh, girlfriends and just friends in general. Cause I prioritize my sleep so heavily. Um, I think I have the, the, uh, curse of knowledge when it comes to sleep. I've read so much on sleep and I know how important it is. And I felt how much different I am functioning the next day cognitively as well as physically when I don't get good quality sleep. So I, I prioritize sleep. Uh, and I, I was in, I had insomnia for a long time. I couldn't sleep at all. And I would stay up all night and it was just, uh, really causing problems with my health. So now I, uh, I go to bed probably like between nine 30 to 10, I'll, I'll turn all my, I turn my phone on airplane mode and I leave it across the room plugged in. Um, I turn all my lights off. I turn everything off and I, I'll usually read for a half hour to an hour, but I like to turn everything off an hour before I go to bed. And that was probably one of the biggest changes in my life before this nutrition was putting my phone on airplane mode and putting it across the room, you know, around nine 30 or 10 at night. And I just tell people, you're not going to get in touch with me after that time. And I don't turn it on until the next morning. So, uh, and you know, people always say, well, what if you get an emergency call or something? I've been doing it now for two years and I haven't had, and I think back, you know, I've been alive for 32 years. I don't remember a time where I had an emergency call at three o'clock in the morning that if I didn't answer it, somebody was going to die or something was going to happen. So, uh, you know, maybe if I was a, a parent or something, that's not something I could do, but, uh, I really prioritize my sleep. So I'll usually go to bed between 10 30 or 11 and then I'll get up at like six 30 or 7 AM, uh, every day. No, that's fascinating. I mean, the the thing with the phone and turning on the airplane mode is something I've implemented and oh my God, it's, it's a lifesaver. It really is. And how much yeah. better you feel when you do that. Um, so kind of a selfish question here. I got a home gym. If there's three pieces of training equipment or recovery tools that would be essential for any gym, what do you think those should be? Three pieces of equipment. I would say a utility bench, some kind of bench that's, that's versatile. It can go to incline, decline. You can do you know, a ton of stuff you can obviously do with that. I'd say probably kettlebells because they're so versatile. You can use them for, you can use them as dumbbells, but you can also use them for a ton of other stuff. Um, so a couple different weight kettlebells. And then I'd probably have some kind of a pull-up bar or some kind of a piece of suspension, you know, a, a TRX or a pull-up bar, something that you can hit a lot of different pulling exercises on. But if I were to have three pieces of equipment right now off the top of my head, I'd probably have a pull-up bar, a utility bench, and a couple of kettlebells. Cool. Is there any new type of research coming along with some type of training um, that you are really fascinated with right now? Uh, I actually just started reading into this one by 20 method. Um, I don't know if you're familiar with that. I, I wasn't really, one of my mentors has been doing it for like a year or so. Uh, it was popularized by Dr. Yesis, and I, it's not super new, but it, not a lot of people use it. Um, and then I have uh, some coaches that I know and, and really respect who said they were using it and getting some great results, more with um, beginner and novice beginner and kind of intermediate athletes. But I've been just reading about it because I was looking for some different stuff to do with my UFC fighter when he came back. And he's been recovering from some injuries. So I was looking for something that could kind of help 
facilitate that recovery process, build some some strength back in the uh, the tendons and ligaments, and you know get blood flow to the joints. And that, that's what this program is supposed to be really good for. Uh, and it's completely different. So I'm reading the book now from Dr. Yesis. Uh, it's not a phenomenal book. Uh, even like one of the other guys was like really popular. Uh, damn, what is his name? There's a, a coach, Jeff something. I, I'll I'll let you know his name when I think of it. I think it's Jeff Moyer. Um, he is uh, a big proponent of, it, and I listened to him talk about it on a podcast. He use he, I think he coaches mostly high school athletes, and he uses it a ton. Um, and he even said the book is not a phenomenal. Uh, explanation of it, but it's like the only book that's out there on it. So that's really the newest training thing I've been looking into. The majority of my research now is on breathing and and ice baths and saunas uh, and really just digging deeper and deeper and deeper into the research on those things so that I can really understand the the physiology behind it and the applications and, and best talk about those things to uh, people who come to our courses, our certification courses. I mean, I haven't heard about the one by 20, so I'm definitely gonna have to check that one out. But PJ Nestler, man, this has been awesome. I wish we could geek out here for a few more hours, talk training uh, and fitness, but I can't thank you enough for coming on. Where can the listeners stay connected with you? I know you guys have some events coming up. Uh, yeah, so the best way to, to find anything from me is is really my Instagram. Uh, I post events on my website, which is coachpjnestler.com, but not a lot of stuff. Really primarily what I do now is XPT. So anything... XPT related is, is going to be on xptlife.com and you can find out about certifications, events, all that kind of stuff. And that's really what I'm doing primarily. Um, and then my social media, I'm, I'm posting things pretty much every day and that's just uh, coach PJ Nestler. And I'm really mostly active on Instagram and a little bit on Facebook. I don't use any of the other ones. Cool. And I have a YouTube channel as well under coach PJ Nestler that I'll put some videos out when I come up with stuff that's way too long for Instagram. Yeah, no, your, your YouTube page is awesome. I love that longer form content. So keep that coming. PJ, I can't thank you enough for joining us on What Got You There. Thanks a lot. Hey, thank you very much again for having me, Sean. If you're like me and love to travel, then listen up. Are you looking to get outside your comfort zone in 2018? Are you tired of the monotony of your nine to five job with no adventure? Do you want to connect with new people on Epic Adventures? If so, then Globekick is what you're looking for. Globekick is redefining travel for the millennial generation. Globekick knows that memorable travel is built on the quality of the experience you have and the people you connect with along the way. That's why their members can choose from curated travel experiences throughout the year with like-minded people. Unlike other travel providers, Globekick members get to know each other through a private social network before choosing when and where they travel together. In 2018, they've teamed up with partners around the world to feature a Sahara Desert camping trip out of Morocco in May, a boating journey through the Sandblast Islands in the Caribbean in August, and a volunteering trip to an elephant sanctuary outside of Cambodia in December. If you want to travel the world with your kind of people and not break the bank, then head to globekick.com and enter WGYT to receive 10% off your membership. That's globekick.com and enter code WGYT to receive 10% off your membership. What got you there with Shonda Laney? Uh, what got you there with Shonda Laney? What got you there with Shonda Laney? Uh, what got you there with got you, got you? Thanks for listening to another episode of What Got You There. If you enjoyed today's episode, please leave us a review on iTunes and also share with your friends. Thanks so much. Looking forward to talking with you next time. If you want to stay up to date on all things I'm working on behind the scenes and everything we've got going on at What Got You There, 
head over to whatgotyouthere.com. You'll also be able to see more on podcast guests and what they're doing. Thanks to Justin Great for providing us the intro and outro song. If you like his music and want to find out more about what he's working on, head over to justingreat.com.